Send in the clowns. <laughs> Send in the clowns. I don't know any of the other words. I was gonna say if you were if you were going to like pull off the entire uh, <laughs> sorry, I was gonna be really impressed because in no way when I woke up this morning um, and considered what song is Kate gonna pull, <laughs> pull from the depths of her bowel this morning. <laughs> I did yeah. not think Sondheim would be the first place that we <laughs> landed, but I, I have to say I appreciated it. It's, it's very apropos for this gloomy day. I opened up the window and saw it, and then a wet dog came running in, and it's just like such beautiful permission to cut the shit and just watch old episodes of Nailed It. Which is my new comfort show, by the way. I love that. I love that. Because you don't have to watch it. Yeah. It's just on. Yeah. People sailing and baking in the background. And it is the quiet din that creates the cocoon that I can handle right now. Fair. That's very fair. Um... We've got big news. Huge news. It's your news. Share it. Um, I'm an auntie. Oh! Caroline was born on Wednesday, July 7th. Um, and uh, it's very, very exciting. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just uh, very thrilled to go meet this meet this child um, in a couple of weeks. So, um, how does that new title feel? It comes with a lot of responsibility to be the first one to hand Caroline her magnum of. Let's go with Pino. <laughs> You'll wait at least till her 15th birthday. <laughs> I'm just very excited to, you know, spoil the shit out of this kid. <laughs> and as on your work is to be the truth teller. Yes. I'm going to pull you aside at a Christmas party and tell you why <laughs> Uncle <laughs> Tim is drinking so much. <laughs> We actually have an Uncle Tim. Kate was not referring to. Oh no! Sorry, <laughs> Uncle Tim. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> this is a fictional Tim. Yes. The uh, the archetypal. <laughs> um. Um, so yeah, so that's very exciting. Um, and, uh, the, uh, first, uh, uh, first child amongst, uh, my siblings, uh, also happened on the same day of my first colonoscopy. So it was just a roller coaster of the... <laughs> 
sun rolls in, the sun comes out. Oh, how was the first colonoscopy? Oh, you know, it was it's 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 the prep that kills you. <laughs> yeah, this um, is out of my pay grade. Um, but uh, yeah, it was fine. Um, uh, definitely not how I wanted to spend my week, though. <laughs> wow. Um, what? Uh, all good? Any findings yet? I think it's all good. Yeah. Um, Unrolled, where we uh, discuss every diagnosis. <laughs> every diagnosis there is. Um, Our slow roll into middle age. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, uh, the, the small talk with the, uh, nurse while she was, like, getting my IV ready and, like, trying to talk about, like, well, what do you do? Oh, you're a yoga teacher. I was like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And that's very flexible. (laughs) I tried yoga, but I hated it. I did a couple videos with yoga with Adrian. Is this right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I just wanted to be like, just get the fucking IV in and leave me alone. She was very sweet, but uh, I was just like, I don't want to talk about this. But um, it is funny how people, yeah, never tell people you're a yoga teacher. Never, never. Tell them you're a gymnast. Um, <laughs> My go-to is I tell people that I'm a consultant, um, which is true. We do consult for Patient Moon. Like that's that that's what we that, that is technically what we do for folks. Uh, but it it is a word that ceases to have any meaning whatsoever. <laughs> so it's pretty good at. Uh, oh, I know it's so and, ambiguous. You say it, you're like I'm a consultant. You're like okay, like you're an advice giver. You're in the mafia. Yeah. What does that fucking mean? <laughs> Yeah, so that's my go-to. Um, it always sounds like you're richer than you are, though. Truth. Yeah. Oh, Ooh, consultant. Um, and, uh, yeah, so what's the news in your world, Kate? You have, so someone is bringing you some sort of beverage. Um, that's the real news. Somebody just brought me up my coffee and eating an old chocolate bar with raisins in it which there should be a criminal fine for <laughs> raisins in a chocolate bar it has no place um oh i've got all kinds of news none of it which i can share thanks jay brown <laughs> you have to deliver this in in jay's voice now no it's just like you know, there's a lot of hubbub in the yoga world, and um, hubbub. And you know, I've got some interesting oh, well, I'm on my um, let's see, I started a new biologic, and I think it might be helping. I have some mornings where I wake up and I don't want to jump immediately into um, the tar pit. 
So why would I want to jump into carpet? Also, I just found out that it's possible Ed Sullivan and JFK had AS. Oh. Um, I doubt JFK. Maybe, who knows? Uh, just look for the semi, the stoop that occurs more in men with, uh, yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I, you know, I had my year diagnosis, my year since sort of the, my very first flare that, mm -hmm ended up, you know, sending me to the urgent care or ER or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Um, and it was the 4th of July last year. And I think of like, okay, so in this last year, you know, what has happened? It's like, okay, well, I got a diagnosis, which is way sooner than most people. And I've been through, I'm on my second biologic, actually technically and um I, I i still am very much in the uh denial shock you know it's interesting like when you think about the area the the steps of grief or whatever i, I bounce around a lot and i still mostly am like no i'm gonna wake up tomorrow and it's just gonna be gone it's just not been Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's normal. I, I will say that social media is good for some things. And one of the things it's good for is I'm, you know, I'm connected with people from all over the world who have just got their AS diagnosis or whatever. And, you know, there are people a lot younger than me getting it. And um, so they're immediately stepping into the role of like advocacy awareness. I think that's what I wanted to talk about is like when you have some bad news, medical, <laughs> personal, whatever, there is, you know, and I'm one of them. It's like stepping into like, okay, well, I'm going to make this journey public and I'm going to step into a role of advocacy and like an awareness producer and on and then for many of those people i'm going to monetize mm -hmm. and i mean what a great way to make lemonade out of lemons i guess but there's also part of me that you know i i i'm not seeking to monetize i don't have a i have a sort of a private instagram account i'm not you know, trying to gain a bunch of followers but, you know, I'm grateful for the people that do it. But also, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah, it, it's, it can kind of be this conundrum of like, like that urge to, to, sort of create a platform around 
it's like the urge to create a platform around what you're going through to to spread awareness to to be an advocate and then because we're in a capitalist uh society um that takes up so much time that you almost have no choice but to figure out how to monetize it yeah and because otherwise hobbies. you won't yeah otherwise you won't have enough resources to keep doing that like it's just a very it, it's a very unfortunate cycle um and then you get it you get exhausted from doing the advocacy and awareness work and then especially if if what you're raising awareness around is uh has something to do with um uh uh some sort of medical or or um mental health or diversity or whatever it is that that takes an understandable kind of toll um on your energy level then like then you end up getting burnt out and then the cycle has <laughs> just and that doesn't help anything and it's not a yeah i don't i don't know um yeah and it's uh you know some of the things i see like immediately is like oh i find a lot of relief from this cbd gummy product or gosh i love these heating pads yeah, yeah, yeah. you know and I mean, I would, I guess, if it was a product I cared about and I actually used, I would have no problem slapping up a link yeah. to get some cheap myself, but there's just, and I appreciate it. I do. I really, I follow all these people. I'm grateful every time I see it. I'm like, it's a reminder for me, like, oh, okay, this is a thing. You're not alone. You're not losing. Yeah. You're not losing your mind Robinson there's other people you know waking up with yeah with this too so in short I'm grateful for it um and I kind of want to awkwardly pivot to this other thing and phenomena I'm seeing post-covid um which is there are the capitalization on rest culture. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of accounts, accounts, um, most of them run by uh, artists, uh, and nonprofit owners. And uh, it, a lot of it is around uh, the relationship of productivity, rest, grind culture, and uh, race and it's beautiful work the nap ministry is one um i'm gonna get the other handle right so if i like you know prepared for these episodes i would have these right at the tip of my tongue that's not how we roll uh <laughs> no we cannot be prepared <laughs> which is why every attempt to monetize this podcast has failed because we just Octavia Rahim is uh, another account. Um, and it's, I I'm so grateful for those two accounts. They, they dedicate, you know, their content to um, 
pushing back against basically the pathology of capitalism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, both of them have said, hey, white lady yoga teachers, we're not talking about you promoting, you know, your fucking restorative or slow flow or whatever. This isn't meant to be twisted into a way to work more and make money off of this idea. And yet, all over the place, you know, I see like, oh, oh, it's cool now. It's getting cool to, uh, to promote rest and doing less, but they're not doing it in the same way that. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't, and they also uh, had a essay about how if you're teaching a whole bunch of like restorative classes, if you're teaching a whole bunch of classes, your work probably sucks because you're not resting yourself. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Um, you know, but then it just harkens back to, okay, people are just trying to make a living. And, and one of the ways that they're, you know, that I'm seeing very, very quickly pop up. In fact, that's really been my whole, uh, is what I've been seeing on my, mostly on my feet is the reemergence of the in-person teacher training. Um, which I, you know, don't get me wrong, like, I understand that from a financial point of view, like, yeah, I would be way better off if I just decided, you know what, I'm going to run three teacher trainings a year and just try to get like 10 people in each one of them and call it a day. Like, I, I that, that would be a really, um, solid uh business plan but like i don't the thing there are two things that stop me when i when my mind goes down that road well maybe more than two uh one is there's the acknowledgement that it is the pre-existing groove that like the quote unquote industry has been in for 20 plus years and, and like acknowledging that like, that's the easy route. Like that I, I need to like veer away from that because it's not, it's not sustainable because once you go down that route, you have to keep going. The pivot is so hard to find something that makes an equivalent amount of money. Um, two is that I'm just so fucking exhausted that like, I don't, I don't really want to put together that, that big of a program. Um, the like heavy lifting that it would be to, to try and mount something like that by myself just feels, it feels insurmountable. Content wise or marketing? Marketing wise, not co content wise. I could throw it together in an afternoon. Um, it's just like, 
that's what makes it so tempting. It's like all of the materials are there. It's, it's you know, it, it would be the kind of marketing and having to say, oh, this is why this teacher training is different. And the truth is, is that the reason that anything that I would do would be different is because it isn't a fucking teacher training. <laughs> it's just like, let's have like, let's have a more in-depth study of, of, of practice together. Um, and uh, now I lost my train of thought. But anyways, like I, I see all of these popping up and I'm just like, it, it just, you know, we've been saying this like a broken record, like this is the opportunity to do something different. And everyone's just jumping back into the same old shit. This is the opportunity to reimagine how pricing works. This is the opportunity to reimagine how the your relationships to your teachers are established. This is the opportunity to um, uh, come up with different models as to how you actually um, train new teachers. This is the opportunity to like. This is this is the opportunity, and what would that require? What would that require, Ryan, for people to make that leap? What would that require? Um, lots of things, but the first thing that comes to mind is like slowing down. Well, I think what you have is like the government lifted so many of the restrictions and there's like a first out of the gate mentality yes and uh let's put off the more radical changes let's just get back to survival mode i just put down my old excuse me my old empathy cap where it's like and trust me i mean i'm sitting here with uh, a very low overhead situation, right? Like uh, this is a very privileged place to sit from, but it's also like in some ways uh, a responsibility for me to jump up and down and say, hey, everybody stop, <laughs> stop. We're just going to crawl into the same fucking hole and we're all going to be out of like we're, we're gonna be exactly back where we were um in a year struggling to get these teacher trainings filled and and feeling like if we don't do the teacher trainings that the whole whole studio is gonna go under and like it, it's just gonna be it it'll just be back back to the same old stuff um and so i absolutely 100 empathize with the like shit we just got to get back to a baseline um and uh because i don't have the pressure of rent um my mind is able to go to okay well what would something else look like and the truth is like i don't know um and the only thing that's clear to me is that big is not the answer. 
Well, I think first of all, you have to see a problem with you have to actually see a problem with teacher trainings as a whole. Yeah. You have to be uncomfortable with all of this already before you You have to have an issue with the fact that we're just cranking out teachers that uh, are, you know, flooding the market and there aren't that many jobs. And then it becomes what fuels the race to the bottom in terms of filling a class with cutest you know fast vinyasa teacher well also is like there's this the the question that i always have like is this an actual job like yes there's dynamics of sort of labor and management in this sort of classical sense but like in many ways, it feels like this is just a thing I do that somehow I've managed to pay my bills with partially. <laughs> but it's not like a... It, there, there's not really a, a career trajectory other than just like... I wake up in the morning and say, oh, who am I going to teach today? <laughs> and am I going to be able to pay the rent this month? And like, on some level, that can be really like panicky. And on another level, it's like, actually, I don't know that I would want anything different. I don't really want everybody, like you look around and like, how many people do you know like people do you see online now that are um, the sort of stereotypical, uh, you know, it used to be the sort of stereotypical like slender fit vinyasa teacher. And now it's just transitioned into the like slender fit uh, trauma informed yoga therapist. Like <laughs> we're just like moving the same issues around and call, slapping different names on it. Like, I don't, I don't even know what, um from a when i look around and see what's happening in sort of advertisements and on the marketplace i i don't know what what a trauma informed yoga therapist is or does um but it doesn't seem like it's much different than what the average um yoga teacher is doing it's not well uh let me let me just tweak that the average yoga teacher honestly Oh. oh, I want to say some ugly things. 
<laughs> I don't think our most sensitive, critically engaged, higher level thinkers are drawn to yoga teacher trainings. You Some don't are. Think. Oh, no, okay. I yeah, yeah. I know. Some yeah. are for sure. Yeah, for sure. Or I wouldn't do this. There's always one or two in each teacher training where you're like, oh, thank God they're here. Um, there is a lot of opportunism or what they think is opportunity that for people that have just been in wellness and wellness adjacent businesses that or people that were, they love yoga and they're a former dancer slash gymnast. Uh, or somebody that loves Pilates and wants to blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of that. And there's nothing wrong with that. It just means that people aren't necessarily coming to the table with a level of awareness and or sensitivity towards these things that would make the average class trauma, quote unquote, informed. So we have to have this trainings because who we attract to teacher <laughs> trainings requires that. Yeah. There is so much ableism. There is so much, and that's the thing that's just mind blowing. It's like, what? That would be a thing for someone? Like, yeah, try a little harder and imagine not being you. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of people only being able to see as far as their own feet. So, yeah, one would hope which is the average class would be trauma-informed but it is so far from that so and and i'm not really sure what i'm not really sure what in fact that would that would um i'm not really sure what in fact that would entail because i think what people assume is that some uh, a, a class that would be quote unquote trauma informed would be 100% safe for everybody in that room and i that's not the case like there's no way for me to know the internal experience of every single person that's in the room um and i have to balance the fact that like there's probably going to be something that i say that could be really, that it has the potential to be really triggering in a way that I can't foresee. Like of course, and good trauma-informed trainings address that day yeah. one. We're yeah. not here to create a bell jar. We're not here to remove triggers. We're here to be more aware yeah. of through the five senses, what primarily can be. And you'll notice a lot of them are in direct opposition with each other. Exactly. <laughs> so the work is to know that you don't know and to be able to create a space wherein people hopefully feel more comfortable leaving. You know? Yes. Uh, I, it's equipping the student with more choice, which is something you already do inherently, but most teachers don't. But I think I think where where that conversation can go a little bit uh, awry is well two two ways that then like you take the training and you sort of slap that on your bio and use it as a like 
marketing tool, which like, I don't actually think like, given the pervasiveness of that phrase, if someone was really dealing with some like serious acute trauma and they saw trauma-informed slapped in front of everybody's name at a yoga studio, like, I think that might raise some like, some red flags. Uh, but as, as you've said before, like, usually when you read someone's bio, you can kind of get a, get a better sense of, of like, this person might be, <laughs> might be okay to check out, or there's just like a general like word of mouth. Um, yeah. That, or at least this person gave enough of a shit to, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But I think, so I think there's the marketing aspect, but then I also think that, um, it has the potential to like the way you just described it is is broadening the conversation of what's possible in practice and in in a room and broadening awareness of what could be beneficial or detrimental to a student's experience right but oftentimes what i see is it actually narrows in a sort of never do this, never do that, never do this, never do that, never do this, never do that. Um, like, which is the same conversation 10 years ago that used to happen about certain poses, right? And now we're just translating it into a different sphere. Like, students used to go take trainings and I'd come back and then I teach bridge pose and they would say that I'm, you know, an irresponsible yoga teacher for teaching bridge pose because someone could have a stroke. That was like <laughs> the 10 years ago conversation. Um, and it, how you choose to teach, if it's this, checkbox system of never do this, always do that, never do this, always do that. Um, it ceases to be a conversation of how can I actually be helpful for as many, for, for all of the variables that are going on in the room. And for some people, when we're in a situation where this is, you know, a thing again, when we really are like back in person, for some people that actually does include touch. And for others, it absolutely does not. And everywhere in between. And figuring out the dynamics of that is just, is an ongoing exploration. It's not a, it's not a series of, of boxes you can check off by going to some kind of weekend training nor is going to, in the same way that going to a 200 hour training doesn't then sort of end your education. But for many people it does because they're like, okay, now I'm fully equipped to do all of the things. Um, and I barely feel equipped to do all of the things. And I have had considerable amounts of practice and study and training. There's still things that just kind of big question marks to me. 
Yeah, I mean, I I do think that right now, trauma-informed trainings and band-aids. Well, that's what you get when you fight, you assholes. They're band-aids. Yeah. Um, meant to patch over an egregious hole that is left by the average 200 hour and quite frankly by the average 200 hour lead teacher yeah um you know in a in a utopian future we wouldn't need a trauma informed training because it would just be part of the regular curriculum on how to deal with uh how to effectively teach whoever's in front of you which means being able and nimble enough to change your class plan. I mean, like this is ultimately kind of the heart of it. And we don't do that in a 200 hour training because we're just trying to get people to be able to stand up in front of a room without shitting their pants. But I feel like that's, that just goes back to the argument of like, throw the whole thing out. (laughs) Start from like, even the structure of the, the fact there's even a, a, hours that, that these hours numbers exist like it, it it almost is this barrier to reimagining because we have this arbitrary yoga alliance 200 and 300 thing that like people just get so caught in this in this box of like we have to do it this way because that's the that's the thing like let's just throw the goddamn thing out and start over again and i don't think we'd come back with a 200 hour training i think we'd come back with something radically different but everyone's too afraid there won't be a market for it because it's the only thing that makes any money which is the only thing that's keeping the studios afloat you know what i mean like it's just this this kind of endless circular um it's like i don't want to go back to the time of people just come and take class and when the teacher is sick the teacher goes hey you've been coming to class a lot you get up there and teach I don't want to go all the way back to that, but there is something really intelligent about that. Maybe. Because because at least back then, like that usually meant that that student was, was, you know, studying a lot. And yeah, they would just get up in front of the class and parrot that's what I was going to say. The teacher. They just, they're the most adapted, like, parody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's a, I think that's in some ways a better I mean, that's start. what we're doing with 200 Hour, too. Just learn yeah. how to parrot your lead. Yes, but those people, most of the time, have not, have not been in the lead person's class for years and years and years. Um, learning from them and, and you know. Um, not just picking up these little like paritable uh, um, cues about what to do with this and what to do with that. They, they, they have experienced the sort of accumulative um, study with that, with that person for more than 200 hours. Um, so I think, I think there has to, whatever, switch went off that went from that system to okay now everyone's got to do a 200 hour training um we just have to unswitch that and go okay we don't want to go all the way back to that but this is just 
untenable and really just exists for the purposes of making money. So what's a different path? And then it, everyone goes and finds their different path. And yeah, you're going to get a lot of sh sh bullshit that comes out of that exploration. But like, we already have a lot of bullshit. It does on some level feel like just like shutting the door behind you. What do you mean? Well, I mean, I benefited from the completion of a 200 hour. Let me, let me be very clear. I benefited from the completion <laughs> of the 200 hour. Sure. That little piece of paper was required as a uh, requirement for entry. You know, that was my ticket to the football field. Uh, so I don't like closing the door behind me because now I see problems with it. I saw problems with it when I was, I was taking it. I don't know. But I, I, so I think, I think the issue here, like I wouldn't, if 200 and 300 hour trainings existed without being the only way to actually make significant amounts of money, I, I would, I, it, it's like, I just, the, the fact that it has become the sole, sole profit center for everybody in the yoga business. Um, that's, the, yes. that's the problem because then they can't evolve because anything that bucks the, the 200 hour system, everyone's too scared to do it because it won't meet yoga Alliance. And then they're afraid that people won't do it. I don't think people give a shit about Yoga Alliance anymore. I, they, they, do they, they? students do. Yeah. I, I've in, in marketing and, and talking to students about it. Uh, students are very, um, they, Yoga Alliance has done a great job of not at, daddy in the room, not advertising that they are not a certifying body. They don't advertise that they are, but they, but they, don't advertise that there am i i think i'm double negative i'm triple negative myself they, they imply that they are by, they imply that they are yes yeah now i think okay. i think there is a um And, it, and when you, when you talk to people at, at Yoga Alliance with a, when I was doing the training that was just training people one-on-one, -on -one, they were utterly flummoxed by why I would do that. And they were like, well, it really has to be 200 hours. I'm like, you don't think that my time one-on-one -on -one working with someone is a different exchange than one person teaching a hundred people. And they're like, well, we, that's just how we have it set up. And I'm like, okay, well, I mean, 
you got to help me out here then because like i'm not going to charge people 125 dollars times 200 to do 200 one-on-one sessions like like that's just not that's just not going to work and like it's overkill um because fundamentally I just want them to have a foundation for practice. And then like, if they want to go teach, I'll help them with teaching. And because this, you imply yourselves as a certifying body, like I would like them to have a piece of paper that like at least shows completion of something. And we worked it out. Um, I don't think we would have been able to work it out with the new, um, new, uh, new standards um the only reason we were able to work it out is because the standards were so lax previously that we were able to like wiggle things around um but it's just uh i lost my train of thought we were saying oh you were saying that you don't think people care about yoga i don't think they i don't think they care but once they start doing research, they find this Yoga Alliance thing and they're like, oh, this looks official. Let me look for trainings that are Yoga Alliance registered. I just don't know that. I guess some people do, but it's, it's really the uninitiated that are giving a shit about. Yeah. Also, I think, I think it's different. Like you're probably in a position where people are talking to you about trainings from a like content perspective because of the collaborativeness of of the trainings um at down under uh but like when people would talk to me at down under at bow street at back bay i was talking to them about content like and about the like nuts and bolts of like payment plans and like all of this stuff and so yoga alliance would come up almost every single time I had that that conversation with folks. Oh, snooze. Yes, agreed. And then I would say to them, Yoga Alliance doesn't certify you, we certify you. Whoever the we was in that, you know, in that context. Um, and yeah, so I just, I think the whole thing, like, this all gets back to like more than just teacher trainings. It's just that teacher training is such like a huge component of what keeps studios afloat. Um, but like everything about the studio model, like this is the opportunity to re redo it. And I don't see anybody redo it. <laughs> I see people closing and choosing to do other things with their lives, um, which is one, one way. Um, but uh yeah i it, it, this is this is the opportunity and and hey if people are listening they're like actually i work at a studio or i'm a studio owner and we are reimagining things in a really interesting way please email us and let us know that because i would love to see some examples of that um i'm just not seeing it from a sort of bird's eye view and also obviously having conversations with lots of people who own studios and various places around the country. Um, it's a lot more of the same. Okay, so here's my question, Ryan.
I think. That was that was that rivaled my pause. <laughs> I think we should all just stop teaching. Yeah. Like, what a shitty thing for me to say. What a shitty thing to say. Um, I guess what it is is I'm genuinely right now for a variety of reasons. Cannot rest on just one reason. Uh, really thinking about. thinking about stopping to teach, stopping teaching. And, and I think what it is, is um, I, in order to have a relationship with the practice that I care about, I gotta let go of teaching. And there is so much suspicion I have toward other teachers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my suspicion is this. I feel like everyone's a bullshit artist and nobody's practicing and this is a performance art. Mm-hmm. And I look around and there's so few people I want to practice with that I feel like that alone is an invitation for me to hit the pause button. Yeah. Because like, even amongst the quote unquote, if I hear the word master teacher again, I'm going to jump out the fucking window. Even amongst the masters. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I know you don't go home and practice mm -hmm. that. In fact, I know you do the opposite because you're living with a fucking condition that wouldn't allow that. So what are you getting on the front of the room of people? It's spouting that lie. Why lie? Why perform and lie? It's just a fucking lie. And I don't like it. It's exhausting and boring. The lie. <laughs> and like, you know, let's, I just think people are full of shit. And I cannot go to somebody's class and I'd like to be able to, I can practice on my own. I do practice on my own because I can deal with my own shit, but uh, showing up at somebody's class, it's just like all of a sudden my bullshit meter is so fine tuned. It's just such a fine instrument. <laughs> that if I show up, if I'm even in the presence of somebody that teaches yoga, that thing starts to go off and I so everybody Kate's Kate's bullshit detector is it's actually a machine it lives lives in her closet yeah no and I have a she travel fanny to... pack one too. <laughs> she has to carry it around with <laughs> no, and then I think okay well who am I to be so judgmental who am I um who am I to be so judgy You know, I, um, I went to a class in person Saturday. Was that only last Saturday? God, time is weird. 
Um, and I have to say, um, it was really great. Like it, it, like it was absolutely not what I would have practiced on that day, but um, you know, in terms of like the pose content, but um, it was really wonderful. Um, and it's rare, I mean, you know me, it's really, really, really rare that I go to a class and I'm like, yeah, it was great. <laughs> um, and I was reflecting, like, yes, it was great because I think, um, oh, this, this, so this was, this was Emily's class at Boston, Boston Yoga Union. Um, hi, Emily. I don't know that you listen, but um, it was a really lovely class. And, you know, part of the reason it was a really lovely class, I think, was, um, you know, well, first of all, the thing that everybody had yelled at me for doing for years and years and years and years and years, and years <laughs> having people face each other in class the room was set up that way and I was like just really like happy about that um and there was just something about like being in a room with people and people felt comfortable to like ask questions in the space and you know it was very conversational and felt very um I don't know, it just felt good to be in, in, in a space again with folks um, in a way that like, now had I gone to a class where someone was like barking orders at me, like I probably would have had a very, very different experience. And let's be fair, like I have been told by folks that like, my presence in class is, is maybe my experience in class being me <laughs> is, is maybe different than other people's experience in, in classes. Um, Cause I think teachers mostly like leave me alone to like kind of explore um, uh, on, on my own within the context of, of whatever's being, being offered. Uh, but it was just really nice and like, I really look forward to being in spaces with folks teaching and practicing again. I just, the, the, um, like the issue that I'm having with the context is not the context of people being in a room together, rolling around on the floor and asking questions and, and trying and, and trying new things and playing with prop setups and all of that. The issue with the context, the thing that like burns me out on the teaching is entirely the, the background machinations of my relationship to studio owners and, and how many people can I get into the class and can, um, you know, can, how are people paying for class? What is that like? It, all of that stuff, like the that that sort of administrative contextual um, backdrop of how we consume yoga I, is the thing that kind of like sours me on it. And it's not that that's not a statement that like yoga should be free. And I'm not that fucking naive. And people try to put that on me all the time. Like 
I really just do appreciate the direct exchange of, I, I walk into a room and I've said this a million times, I walk up to Barbara, I drop $20 in the bowl at Harvard Street and I get some, I get to learn some yoga for two hours and then I go home. <laughs> and I know that she's just gonna use that money to pay the rent and then pay herself. And, and like the second we start moving beyond that, I think it gets muddied, not muddied to the point that it's not worth doing, but it, it starts to get muddied. And, um, and, it's, and, it's, and it's that that I'm wanting folks to reimagine. And I totally understand how hard that is to reimagine when you've got massive overhead to think about. Um, uh, so I'm just gonna be the one constantly jumping up and down saying like, let's try something different. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe people will, maybe people won't, but um, just so that it's not all doom and gloom. Like I went to a class that I really enjoyed and I really enjoyed being with people in a room and having, you know, a prolonged conversation about yoga. <laughs> without having to look at a Zoom screen. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I appreciate. I just, I don't wanna rent a space. I don't wanna, I don't know. I, I don't want somebody to walk up and feel like they have to put 20 bucks down. I appreciate studios for doing that labor, I'm willing to get paid less so that they do that labor. Um, I'm losing the thread. Just, and it feels like a loss. Just, what feels like a loss? Not teaching? No. Uh, I, I used to enjoy finding pockets of community mm -hmm. that we're practicing with, you know, the same group of teachers floating around. Yeah. Connecting with each other and Sometimes that was around a studio. Sometimes that was just around a, a cohort of teachers that all sort of jive. Yeah. I miss that. Um, but it really isn't welcoming to bring. I'm tired of the fight it takes to be welcome in space. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, some of my happiest times at studios were when I was at my most able-bodied 
and yeah. I could enjoy the sequences and the work that was being done. And, uh, you know, that's taken from you by, by most teachers. I lay it at their laps. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's taken from you um, the moment you are unable to perform. And uh, I think most teachers genuinely don't give a shit. And maybe that's not fair. Maybe they do care, but they're just scared to teach something that invites more bodies into the room, whether they're older or injured or sick, or fat, or thin or whatever. It's not just, you know, I can like take on a couple of those hats, but you know, teachers are terrified. They're, they're terrified of teaching bodies that are not in a very narrow, it's like, if you go to a gymnastics studio and you roll in the mobility aid, there just isn't that much of a difference between rolling into a studio, a yoga studio for the public. Sure. What are we going to do? What are we going to do with this body? We were not prepared. Our practice has not prepared us. Our training has not prepared us. Our marketing has not prepared us. Our business philosophy has not prepared us to deal with anybody that isn't in a very narrow narrow category chapter of their life and I feel and I know that you can be a good person and a shitty exclusionary teacher and so I know a lot of people that are really good people and they you know they just want to teach the ballerinas but it makes me sad. And I'm just, I, I think right now at this moment, this morning, I just am mourning. You know, I, I, I have spent the last 10 years speaking out and sort of pushing up against that. And I'm just tired of it now. It's like, okay, you don't want, you don't want us here. Fine. Yeah. You don't give a shit. Fine. You do you. One day you're going to wake up injured. Yeah. God forbid you're going to get sick. God forbid, you know, but it's going to happen because that's what life does. Yep. So it's just this denial of death. It's teachers denying that they're going to die. And that's why I'm so interested in talking about death in class, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Sorry. Sorry. Rant over, but I, um, I'm feeling sad today because I wish that the teachers who have been sick and who are sick would teach with that knowledge rather than hiding it for their own practice. Yeah. I wish that they would teach to the bodies they have now so that other people could experience their wisdom that they gleaned, but instead they're sticking to their old script. Yeah. And it's doing us a lot of harm, that cowardice. Yeah. Ooh, fucking cowards. <laughs> well this has been unrolled <laughs> no we, no 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 we don't end on kate calling everyone a coward okay we end on kate calling everyone a coward <laughs> i think we do i think there's no other way to, there's no pivoting that can can occur from there um 
Um, okay. Uh... Bye. <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs> that was awful. <laughs>